have a little bit of fun today. And by the way, you know, feel free to interact. This is kind of a study more than it is a, a sermon. And I uh, thought we might look at who God is. And I'm talking about from kind of a, a just like the, even the people in the world are capable of, and we're going to look at this in scriptures a little bit later, but even the people in the world can look up at the heavens and see the glory of God in the heavens. And it says that it testifies to his handiwork and to his righteousness. I mean, just looking up into the nighttime sky and seeing that. And uh, so we're going to look at God from kind of like an overall perspective, how the world sees him and how we see him and actually who this God is. And uh, so, what? but one of the first things, you know, when we think of God or the Godhead, we, we think of uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've all been taught from our earliest, uh, you know, as children, that there is a Godhead and that there's a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the uh, kind of Christian viewpoint of who God is. And in fact, it's very true. And what I want to kind of look at uh, is what is the Trinity? Again, if anybody wants to chime in or share anything, feel free to do that. But I came upon this kind of interesting diagram when I typed in Trinity on Google. And what it, what it shows is this, that God is made up of three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But, <clears throat> contrawise, the Father is not the Son, the Holy Spirit is not the Son, and the Father is not the Holy Spirit. Now, I have got to ask you a question. <laughs> Do you guys, oh, by the way, let, let, me, let me just show you where, that, where this diagram came from. Look at that. Y'all see that? This is a, a diagram of the Trinity that was given to us by some guy, I forget what his name is, in the year 1210. Now, I got to tell you, that was a long time ago. And yeah. Christianity has adopted that view of the Trinity. And it is like, all over the place. Not, o not only is the diagram understood and viewed that way by plenty of the, the theologians that exist in the world today, but their understanding of God is something, something like that. That's why they would diagram him like that. But I'm going to ask y'all, do y'all see anything that might possibly be a miss? with this diagram of the Trinity. 
Now, you know, there is a distinction in the Godhead. There is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So to say the Father is the Holy Spirit, or that the Father is the Son, I believe the guy that drew this was trying to show that there is a distinction between these entities right. in the Godhead. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that he, he was thinking like that, but, but I gotta tell you something. I believe that the guy was like, wrong, not right. <laughs> I mean, you want to hear kind of a curious thing? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a read to you in, an interchange that uh, the Lord had, the Lord Jesus had with Philip. Listen to what he what he says. And Philip said to him, "Lord, show us the Father." So it was a simple question. Show us the Father, and it will suffice us. And Jesus saith unto him, Have I been with you so long, and thou knowest not me? He saith, He that has seen me has seen the Father. Mm. How sayest thou then, Show us the Father? In another place, John 10, 30, Jesus said this, I and the Father are one. Now, I have got to say, Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So how can this guy, back in 1812, and everybody since, adopt this thing and say that Jesus is not the Father? So, I would say, if we we're going we to look at this properly, we would simply eliminate is not. Let me show you, I'll tell you another reason why I say that. <clears throat> we know that God is one, right? Mm -hmm. And when Moses asked the Lord, who shall I tell the nation of Israel that has sent me, seeing as you are asking me to lead them out of bondage. He said, tell them, I am sent me. Now, how can any being or, or entity who is called <clears throat> I am have is not mm. anywhere in this right <laughs> it's, it's just an impossibility. The God who is I am has nothing that is not in his being. So God, this is true. Actually, let, let's re-diagram re this thing completely, okay? God is the Father. He is the Son. And he is the Holy Spirit. To try to, although there is a distinction between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three are one. Now, if you cannot diagram that and, and do a picture of it, don't do draw a diagram. <laughs> because it is extremely important for us to understand that this God who we believe in 
is one with himself, yet there is a Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, yes. what we're doing there, we couldn't diagram you. How would we diagram you? Yeah, think about that. <laughs> Absolutely. We don't have uh, a great deal of <clears throat> capability of really diagramming who God is. But I tell you what, it, it, it does the human heart good to contemplate who God is. It really does. It's 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 a it's a actually it's a very good uh, endeavor to consider who God is. And I don't fault this guy back in twelve ten for, for considering the Lord. But I gotta tell you, to say the Father is not the Son, when Jesus said I and the Father are one. I have a little bit of a difficulty with that. I don't care how long ago he lived or how many people believed it afterwards. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. Whether we completely can grasp that or not, it, it really doesn't matter. It is reality. Now, that is uh, one aspect of the Lord. Would it? He is one. Now, what is the import that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one? Now, I, I'm, I'm going to give y'all, uh, me, me and Greg were talking the other day, and I was thinking about, you know, just if I was conceptualizing in my mind who God was, okay? The scriptures say that God is spirit. No man hath seen God at any time. But Jesus said, but the Son has proclaimed him or declared him to the earth. So somehow or another, the Son, when we look at Jesus and what he came to do and to reveal to us about God, he has declared this invisible God to us. So think about the, the, like the invisible <clears throat> nature of God, okay? When God created the earth, he created the earth, and then all of the universe subsequently. Now, why did he create the universe? What did the scriptures say? The reason that he created the stars <clears throat> of heaven, the sun and the moon. Anybody remember? Because well, he do. actually says why he did it. They do declare his glory. They declare his glory. That's true. Mm -hmm. But you know what he said in, in Genesis? He created them to give light to the earth. He created the heavens, all the starry hosts, to give light to the earth. Now I'm going to tell you, that, said, that begins to reveal something to us in the nature of God as to what his predisposition is to the creation and the existence on this earth, and to us in particular. Because... If there were not, if we were not here to behold the glory of God in in that universe, who would He have created the light for? We were created to experience the glory and the majesty of God. Now, let's look at let's look at size and scopes. Okay. Now, I googled this and I said, you know, what is the furthest point? in the universe that we can see with the naked eye. So I googled that and looked it up. 
And you know what it is? It's this star called Carina. Carina. Now this star is 7,500 light years from the Earth. So you could actually go there. At the speed of light, it would only take you, now, speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. That's pretty fast, but if you can get that fast, you could actually get on a spaceship and fly to Etacarina in 7,500 years. You'll be there. And, if, and if, this is another thing. If you took, if you went to U-Haul, rented a tow bar, and hooked that to your spaceship, and you hooked it up to the Hubble space, uh, telescope, and you you brought the Hubble telescope with you to Etacarina. You could set it up on one of the planets that are circling, circling that uh, planet and look out into the universe. And you know what you're going to see? More universe. More universe. More universe. Yeah, More further universe. out. Gotcha. Because I hate to blow your mind. The universe has no end to it. Yeah. Existence has no end to it. And when the scriptures say that the heavens declare the gloriousness and the righteousness of God, it is that eternal nature of God that that it's not just that the stars are beautiful, which they are, but it, it communicates to us the eternity that is in God. And to look out there and consider these things is a good thing because all of this, everything that we see, all the things that we even don't see, were meant for our benefit. And, and ultimately for the Lord's benefit, because he desires to be one with us, just as he is one within himself. There's a unity and a desire in God's heart that the God who created the universe cares about you. Pretty cool thing. Now, you want to hear a funny thing? You know why? Now, listen, 7,500 light years away. So, you wonder why we can see that star? It's like really big. Okay? Etacarina is 50 times larger. No, wait a minute. Not 50 times. 500 times. No, that's not right. <laughs> it's 5 million times what? the lumens of our sun. 5 wow. million times. Now you, I got to tell you, that thing is big. Mm. And it kind of testifies, because it's a speck out there, how large the universe is. And you know, the Apostle Paul said, he said, that in him we live and move and have our being. In him, we live and move and have our being. I'm going to tell you something about the Lord. In him, the universe, the whole universe, lives and moves and has its being. Right. That, that's how unbelievable God is. And that same scope, which is God, includes that which is time. 
There is no beginning and no end to time. He is. And one day when we are with him in eternity, that is going to be our existence. We're just going to be. We're not going to be saying, what's the date of today? What's happening the next Thursday? <laughs> Listen, we are going to be with him, and it is going to be a glorious existence. So it's something that we can't even fathom or imagine. But yeah, it's, it, that, that story is five million times the size of the sun. That, that's big. Now, if, if you got your Bible, or if you got your phone with the Bible, let's, let's look at something. Go to uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 6. The reason I'm going to this chapter is because there were people who were desiring to know who God was. And what Paul comes to these folks and says, what you worship in ignorance, I'm here to declare to you. Now let's listen, listen to how he says, now this is a little bit of scripture. By the way, Anybody got any thoughts or comments to this point? I do. Yes. So I remember that diagram from when I first became a believer. Really? Yes, which was like ancient times. I mean, it's almost as old as the universe. But, <laughs> but I remember seeing that, and, and at that time, having it make some yeah. sense, because yeah. no one had ever stopped to describe the Trinity. And I know the Trinity is indescribable in, in reality. Right. But it was... It worked well to help understand, Absolutely. in some way, the three parts of the Trinity. Yes. What just struck me was, and what we don't talk about except for in this church, is the fact that there's a human in that Trinity. Mm. That's a big deal. Yeah. No one had ever brought that to attention that, yeah, that's the Son, and he's the Son of God, but he's also the Son of Man. Yes. And that... We have a place in that diagram Amen. in the sun. Absolutely. And that thing, that is really incredible. It's awesome. As a matter of fact, I, I you know, was kind of skipping over this, but uh, Greg and I were, you know, talking the other day. And I was, I was saying, you know, if, if I were just like considering who is God, you know? Well, we know that God is spirit. No man has seen God at any time when you see God overall. But Jesus who is, was a, the Son of Man, right. right, and the Son of God, declared him. So, the way I would describe, I personally would describe the Lord, if somebody said, who is God? I would say this, that God is Spirit. And His Spirit envelops everything it is. And there's no beginning to God, no end to God. No beginning in time, no beginning in distance, forward or backwards. He is the Alpha and the Omega, okay? And in this God who who is spirit, there is a mind like a human mind that thinks and reasons as we do and can communicate to us as we think and reason about things. This mind and this one who was the initiator of eternity is God the Father. God the Father is the head or the mind of God. 
God the Holy Spirit is that part of the mind of God that is one with the Father and communicates the spirit or the heart of God to everything that exists. Mm -hmm. He is a God of order. He's a God. He is love. He is it, it, it's a it's a spiritual aspect of God that cannot be seen or touched, but communicates a heart because God has a heart, and that heart keeps the whole universe in order, and it brings people to 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 the Father. The spirit brings people to the Father. There's a spiritual aspect to the Spirit of God, and who is God the Son? He was with God in the beginning. And there was no beginning. So for eternity, the son was with him. And he will be with God into eternity. So who Jesus is, is the physical manifestation of the Father or, or of the Godhead. In him, the fullness of the, of the Godhead lies in bodily form. Right? So he didn't just do this so that we can see him. Oh, you know, that he could be manifest in the flesh and we could see him, although he did that so we could see him. But there is actually human form in the Godhead. Right. There, somehow or another, I don't completely understand it, but when God created us in his image, these bodies that we see, the, 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 the heavenly bodies like the angels, and they all, there's this resemblance of God the Son in him that part of the Godhead that actually has human form. And at some point in time, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit said, we're going to manifest ourselves in the flesh, come down to earth to save our people. And that's when Jesus was manifest in the flesh through a young virgin woman by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he came to be with us forever and to cause us to be with him forever. Right. So, can I redraw that diagram? Yeah, if you want to, go for it. I'm sorry. I can't help myself. You do. So, I would do the Father, and then over here, for the Son, you can do, um, the diagram is not going to be completely accurate, but it's as much as the diagram will let us do, right? Uh -huh. You can do Son of Man, you can do Son of God, Holy Spirit down here, and like that. But then that brings the human into the picture. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we are in the picture with the Lord. As a matter of fact, I'm going to show you how that takes place. We're going to read from Acts chapter 17. Listen to this. this is, we're going to start with verse... Six. So, now when Paul waited for them at the at, at Athens, his spirit was provoked with him in him when he saw the city was full of idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the Gentile worshippers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So Paul was in Athens talking to all of the people about something. And we're going to hear what, he, what this something is. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. Now, this was the people who kind of like knew something. That he was talking to people who didn't know much, 
and we're really kind of seeking what is what is this thing all about okay what is life all about oh, that's not acts no i'm not finding no that. i'm not finding that act 17 not... acts this is not act 7 is it 14 could be go to 14 maybe i picked maybe <laughs> got you wrong i wouldn't want to lead you astray it is act 14 6. it's 17 17. oh 17 17. 17 17. <laughs> is that it's right it's 17 17. really okay because yep that, that looks like it yeah. that's right you know i gotta you'd have to oh. see my computer it says it starts with six and then the next verse on my computer says 17. <laughs> that's kind of crazy but anyway okay acts uh chapter uh, chapter 17, 17 verse mm -hmm. 17. then certain epicurean stoic philosophers encountered him and some said what does this babbler want to say what is he saying and others said he seems to be proclaiming some foreign gods because he was preaching to them jesus and the resurrection now okay so what was paul preaching to them the resurrection jesus Jesus <laughs> and the resurrection. Did I spell that right? Something like that. He was preaching to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the rock of us may we know this new doctrine of which you speak or are you bringing some strange strange things to our ears therefore we want to know what these things mean for all the athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else than either telling or hearing some new thing these guys like I'm telling you, I like these guys. <laughs> they wanted to know that they, they didn't know, but they, but they wanted to know. I like that. So then Paul says to them, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I pass through and considered the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription. And just in this version that i copied this thing from it has these words the unknown to the unknown god that is another thing that i like when i read this because here these guys are trying to figure things out trying to figure life out they were honestly oh just what is the answer here you know and they have this thing that says to the unknown god and this is how Paul addresses that. He says, Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with man's hands 
as though he needed anything, since he gives life and breath in all things. Now, I got to tell you, we learn a couple of things mm. from this, and it relates to kind of like what we're talking about here, the scope, the majesty, the wisdom of God that is eternal. He says, God who made the world and everything in it and is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made by hands. So I have got to ask you a question. We're in a church. It's a physical building. The people of God are here. My question is this. Is this the temple of God? Is it, does God dwell in this building that we come to? Yeah, that's right. Only as we're here. Only as we're here. Exactly. But he doesn't live in temples built by hands. A church, a temple, is not where God is. God is where his his body is. His people. The people of God. Exactly. Now, nor is he worshipped with man's hands, as though he needed anything since he gives life and breath in all things. So what does God need that we should serve him with? Nothing. Nothing. So we think that the things we do is what serves God. But the reality is, he is the one that serves us. Yes. Like he washed the feet of his disciples. And he is serving us with a, with a life that empowers us to be. Just like the God, the God who is, I am. God is a God who is does not dwell in temples made by hands, nor is he served by man's hands, for he himself gives life and breath and all things to, to, to all of us. The God who is, I am, serves us with his life that what? that we might be and exist in, in, in the fashion that he designed us to be. So where does that come from? Is what? <laughs> he serves us with Thank his you. life. Okay. <laughs> now, he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has de determined their pre-apportioned times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they might seek the Lord, and in that in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being. As some of your poets said, we are His offspring. Therefore, since we are His offspring. Or, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think of the divine nature in gold and silver and stone, uh, something shaped by the art and man's devisings. Truly, in times past, uh, times of ignorance, God overlooked such things. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. That's to change your mind. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He, and he has given us assurance of this, 
by all through raising him from the dead. Now, and when, when they heard these things uh, about the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, others said, we will hear more again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined them and believed. Among them was Dionysius of the Arabicate, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So, isn't that an amazing thing? That when, when Paul was speaking to them, he was speaking to them of Jesus and the resurrection. Mm -hmm. it's, what is it about this message that is so single-focused that it is described that he was preaching to them one thing, Jesus and the resurrection. So what is the Jesus and the resurrection say? Anybody got thoughts about that? That's where we get our life from. That's where the life has come from. Somebody came back from the dead. Absolutely. Listen to this, like we talked about. God is spirit. You cannot see spirit. God is love. You cannot see love, but you feel its effects. God is life. Eternal, perfect, incorruptible, indestructible life. So God entered into the physical so that we, that which is spiritual might inhabit that which is carnal or physical. God entered into the physical that that which is spiritual might inhabit <clears throat> that which is fleshly or, or of this world. He did that. By destroying the death that sin brought into the world, by taking that death into himself and dying for us, and because Jesus is both the Son of Man and the Son of God, he had full right to do that. We thus can see ourselves in him and even as if we were in him at that time. Then, upon the completion of that work in his dying for us, the love of the Father for Jesus raised him from the dead because Jesus was both the Son of Man as well as the Son of God. He had full rights to do that. We thus, because he is the Son of Man also, can see ourselves as if we were in him when he was resurrected from the dead. And one day, just as the, as the body of Jesus was raised from the dead, we too will be physically raised from the dead because Jesus was both the Son of Man as well as the Son of God. He has full rights to do that for us. And when, and when Christ returns in his glory, we will return with him in glory. So when... When Paul was talk, talking about the, to the people in, in Athens about Jesus and the resurrection, that's what he was talking about. That because he was both the Son of Man and the Son of God, he had the full rights to purchase from our sin, 
raise us from the dead, give us his eternal, incorruptible, indestructible life. And one day when he comes back, we're coming back with him. Amen. And I'll tell you what, you know, how when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. It is truly finished. Now, anybody have any thoughts about all this? Uh, I need you. <laughs> I already shot my bullet. <laughs> right. Well, it's an interesting conversation that you bring up, and I thought it was originally when you brought it you up. Want to come up? No, no. They, okay. They can hear me. Okay. Um, the who God is, and and thinking about it from the design of God. Yes. Um, because Hebrews talks about Jesus being the image of the invisible God, mm -hmm. and so um, we tend to focus on. Uh, the image of God from the sense of God is love and how God manifests himself and God has life in him and how that life manifests itself. And those are all things to be considered with yeah. the uh, utmost thoughtfulness. But I think there's a struggle for people when it comes to understanding the design of God um, because of what you're talking about, the Godhead, right? Or some people like to use the word Trinity. That's right. Um, I know people get very legalistic and say the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, so we shouldn't use the it. The word Godhead is, though. Listen, man, let us get away from that kind of legalism. Keep sure. that. Right? Yeah. I mean, if you don't like that word, then use Godhead. It means the same thing. Sure. Okay? Um, but what's interesting is Deuteronomy talks, Moses said to the children of Israel, and this is why a lot of people um, that have a Jewish descent have struggled with Jesus, because Jesus is the Son of Man, but the Christian church also comes and describes Jesus as God. That's right. Right? God in the flesh. And one of the reasons why they reject Jesus, the Christian Jesus, is because Deuteronomy comes and says, you shall have one God, the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods. Mm -hmm. And when the Christian church comes and describes the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, many times they hear three gods and not one God. Right. Yep. And so they can't get past that struggle and, and so they I think a big problem and even in the Christian church like you said I think we struggle to understand the design of God um, and how can God be three in one and how can Jesus be God and how can the Father be God and how can the Holy Spirit be God and how can the Son be the Father and how can the Father be the Son and how can the Spirit be the Son and how can the Spirit be the Father we we struggle with all those things and our our intellectual minds want to compartmentalize to try to understand. Yes. And one of the easiest ways I like to describe it is God is one God. Okay, just just like here I am, I'm Greg. Right? But when God speaks, he speaks Jesus. And that's his word. Yeah. Right? Now, the breath that comes out of his mouth when he speaks Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Okay? Well, when I'm standing here talking... You hear words coming out of my mouth, and you would say, those words are me. I am those words. Yep. You would also say, the breath coming out of my mouth is me. Yep. It's my breath. And so my breath is also me. And so we struggle to see how Jesus is also the Father, because Jesus is the word of the Father. The, the problem is, is my words can't take on flesh. Neither can my breath manifest. But God's words can manifest and take on tangible form. 
and so can his spirit. Absolutely. And so we struggle to see how his word is also him and how his spirit is also him. And they're one and the same. But he can manifest himself in different ways through those things. That's right. Right? And um, that's why one of the most revelatory things that the disciples said was, Lord, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, you have the word of eternal life. And because he was the word, they may not have seen that clearly, but he was the word, the embodiment of God in physical form that those who would believe on him might receive the life that was in him. And, uh, you know, he had to uh, purge from human consciousness the, the idea or the concept that we could not approach God because of our sin. We, we, our consciences were, were defiled by uh, our carnal thinking of ourselves in relation to God. But on the cross, he said, listen, I accept these people completely apart from what they do because there was a thief on the cross who didn't have a minute to repent, to change his mind, to be sorry for what he did. All the people that were crucifying, spitting on him, putting a crown of thorns, driving nails through his hands and feet, he forgave all those people. He said, listen, I, I do not see you for what you do. I see you for who you are to me. And when he did that thing, he, the, the veil in the temple was rent, and now common man, just who as we are, can walk into the presence of God. We exist in the presence of God. And when he raised us from the dead, he gave us that the same light that raised him from the dead. And I'm going to tell you, it, it, it's, a, it's a good place to be. And the reason that uh, I would say that unity does not exist in the body of Christ is that we look at the scriptures, okay? We look at all of these things. Now listen, the scriptures say a lot about a lot of things. It tells us about things that happened in the past and things that happened in the future. And it tells us about you know, brothers, love one another as, as Christ loved you. Forgive one another as Christ forgave you. It says a lot of things about a lot of uh, many topics. And to look at those things is good. But what happens is mankind takes some of what he says and says, well, you know what? This is, this is all about God. We, we, we're going to figure out this God through our understanding of certain aspects of God. And we can call this group of people the Baptists. And someone else, the Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> Only two. <laughs> this can be the uh, Presbyterian. Okay. <laughs> And you can come up with a thousand groups. Because let me tell you what, what they try to do. They try to study the scriptures as if it were a textbook by which if we study this thing and figure it out, we can know God. That's not how you know God. 
right? You know God, but becoming one with God. Mm. And all of this stuff that we talked about, just awesome concepts and ideas to contemplate and all that. But listen, you don't know God by looking out into the sky in a vast and universe. They declare his glory, but you don't know God by looking out into the nighttime sky. Nor can you draw a diagram and say, I know God because I was able to draw this diagram and explain the Trinity. That's not how you know God. You know God by becoming one with him. Read John chapter 17, and Jesus tells you how to know God. How is that? To become one with him. And that's why he came, that we might become one with him. Now, all these scriptures, if you, if you take away all of this stuff, in a way men use it to buy, and end up dividing themselves one from another, all of these scriptures, all of these scriptures point to one thing, to Jesus Christ and his being raised from the dead. They all point to that. And if, if the Christian church all over the world came to realize that this thing is about Jesus having fully completed for us something that we could never work for ourselves, that he has given us his eternal life, we have his eternal life, not only would we know God, but we would find ourselves, instead of being separated from one another, would find ourselves one with God. Because it is finished. He has done it. He's completed the work. He is in me, and I am in him. I think one of the problems is we, we, we don't really see that God is one. That's right. And how can we be one? If, if we don't see that God is one. I mean, we even come and preach the gospel. Forget about just the, the carnal interpretation of the cross. We preach the Father and the Son separated on the cross. But the, then even outside of that, we don't really see that the Father is the Son and the Son is the Father. That's we right. don't see that the Father is the Spirit and the Spirit is the Son. That's right. We, we describe those things differently. And so what we end up happening happens is you rightfully point to everything is pointing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that's pointing to the work of God. Yep. And when we don't see that Jesus Christ is everlasting Father, mm. we begin thinking about the work of the Son of Man instead of the work of God. Mm. That's right. And if you don't see that that's everlasting Father doing a work, that this man Jesus is everlasting Father doing a work, if you don't see that, you end up focusing on the work of a man, which leaves your heart looking to the strength <laughs> of a man yep. and not the strength of God. Right. right. And so it's like in the beginning, God wanted to do a work. God. And so when he wanted to do a work, he released his word. And when he released his word, his breath came out of his mouth. And they did a work to create. That was God. One God doing a work. And he did the same thing with Jesus. Sure. He wanted to do another work. It's one God. It's everlasting Father. And he spoke. And when he spoke, his breath was released. All with the same intent to do a work. And so I think one of the big problems is they don't see Jesus as God doing a work. Jesus is God doing a work. And like we talked about, that, that verse in 1 Corinthians that says um, that he's, it, it, he waits till all things are put subject to his yes. feet, even for death to be removed. And then even he will be subject to the Father. Yep. And our, our carnal interpretation, we still read that looking for separation between the two. That's right. As if the Son isn't the Father and the Father isn't the Son. 
But if you look in the verses, Isaiah, the, the father speaking, says, my word will not return unto me void. Right. Well, he, he's, he's giving insight into what 1 Corinthians is talking about. He released his word, which is him, because his word is him and him, he is his word. He released his word to do a work. But when his word has performed the work, as Alpha and Omega says at the end, it is done, his word's going to come back into him. Yep. And then you're not going to see a father and a son and a spirit separately. You're going to see everlasting father standing there because his word will have returned into his mouth mm. and his breath will be in his mouth. And there will be one God, the Lord your God, and it'll look like Jesus Christ. Amen. The ancient of days. Yep. Right? That's what God will look like. And we're going to see everlasting father <laughs> and we'll no longer be, be confused. That's right. Right? I mean, Alpha and Omega is he without beginning. And he without end. That's Father. That's everlasting Father. That's Jesus Christ. We forget that the scripture will say that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Amen. Listen, you cannot separate Jesus from the Father. No. Ever. That's why this thing kind of got my goat when I first saw it. Yeah. Because I just know that that's true. And and to, to do that is to lose the essence of who Jesus Christ was because he was God brought to us, God with us, Emmanuel. It's hurt the church. It, it really has hurt, hurt the church. Well, when I say it hurt the church, the, the misunderstanding of who God is and his oneness and his desire to be one with us, that all things might be complete in him, God all and in all, this does not, this error does not testify to that. And, and, and listen, since uh, 1210, this thing has been around mm -hmm. and accepted theologically. I mean, from this looks like probably a Catholic-oriented thing, but it has been very well accepted throughout Christendom, mm -hmm. and it is just not accurate. Listen, God is one. Jesus is the Father. The Father is Jesus. The Holy Spirit is, is God. They, they are all one. And everything that Christ did for us, he didn't do it on his own to please the Father. He did it. God was in him doing that thing. Right. And listen, when we walk through the earth today, we can know that we're one with the God who has accomplished everything. <laughs> so we lack what? What do we lack? Like? Nothing. We lack like nothing as we walk through this world. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't know how much better place you can be no. than to, to lack nothing. You know, I listen, we were talking when uh, Greg was, you know, introducing things earlier. You know, we live in a world that's a little precarious. Russia's about to invade Ukraine. Uh, there's a coronavirus. I mean, it, hopefully that's kind of playing out, but it, it, it really shook the world that we, we live in. And uh, there are all <laughs> kinds of social tensions and political tensions that exist. It is kind of a, a screwed up, contentious yeah. place to be. Right. But guess what, though? You look out up into the nighttime sky and you look at eternity there and you realize that he has placed eternity in our hearts and they're not going to shake 
those uh, th those stars out of the sky until he brings heaven to earth. And then at one time, like from Mount Sinai, he shook the earth. When he brings heaven to earth, both the heavens and the earth will be shaken. And it will be recreated into a, an existence for us with God that will never end. And it will be an existence that we can't even fathom or imagine. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor mind conceived of what God has prepared for those who love him. Amen. Amen. We have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. Amen. I, I even want to say, I don't know that you can experience unity with the Father unless you see that Jesus is the Father. Mm -hmm. That's right. I mean, I don't know what you're having unity with, but I don't know how you can be one with the Father unless you first see that Jesus is the Father. Yes. Um, and I, I love what First John says, that God is light. He says, God is light. In him is no darkness. Well, when, G, when, when, when God says in, in Genesis, let there be light, and light appeared, it's not that he created light, it's that he is light. Yes. Yeah. And then he released that light out of himself. Amen. But that light, John says, is God. Yep. God is light. Right? Well, John said at the beginning of his gospel that Jesus is that same light. And so God said, let there be light. Once again, that is the birth of Jesus. We struggle to see what you said so beautifully, God is spirit. See, we see God is spirit easy back in Genesis when he says, let there be light. Because there's not flesh there. But the moment Jesus becomes born into human flesh, humans struggle to see that's still spirit. Because now there's human flesh. Yes. And there's a spiritual interpretation of that. And when Jesus was born into human flesh, it was God saying, let there be light. And it was him emptying the light he has in himself into human flesh. Mm -hmm. yes. And that light standing up in human flesh. Well, that light, just as that light was God in Genesis, yeah. that light is God in human flesh. And, and it's, it's difficult for us to really experience the, the unity if we don't understand the oneness of God. That's right. And I think it's beautiful that you brought this out because I see a lot of confusion about this sure. Um, I sure in the body of Christ. I do. Um, and there's nothing new that's under the sun, yeah. right? But there's this desire to subjugate Jesus to just humanity. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And that he's not of the self-same su substance as the Father. That's right. And that him and the Father aren't the same. Yeah. Right? And that Jesus is somehow a created being. Or that he has the beginning, and thus would have an end. And what I want to say is, I don't want to judge the people that would say that, because I don't know their heart, but I want to judge that idea. Yes. And what I want to say is, that idea is anti-God, and will make it very difficult to find yourself knowing God okay. as he is, and experiencing fellowship with the Father. Right? Yeah. Listen. Yeah. When you think about most people's concept of God is that he is out there. That is most people's mm -hmm. God is out there. Mm -hmm. And you can know him. You can learn about him. You can do the things that he uh, desires to do you to do. But that's not who God is. The, the, the essence of who God is, is he is one. And he exists. Moses, 
Tell them I am mm -hmm. has sent you. And listen, when you become one with the Father, you are one with him. It's, it's, it's as if what needed to take place has taken place. Because now you find yourself one with God in the Godhead. Now, I know some folks may not be able to come to full grips with that, but you have to read John chapter 17, and you can see. That, listen, if you want to think about what the Lord's Prayer is, read John chapter 17. It wasn't our Father who art in heaven. The Lord's Prayer is John 17, because in that prayer, he prays to the Father and says that the reason he came was that we might be one mm -hmm. with him, mm -hmm. even he is who, how he is with the Father. And listen, when you're one with him, you can't say, well, we're here and the Father is here, but it is not. <laughs> listen, when Jesus made us one with him, we have been made one with him. Mm -hmm. And if you've been made one with God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, you lack nothing. It's finished. Mm. And if that message were Jesus and the resurrection were preached like Paul preached it, there would actually be unity within the body mm. because it wouldn't be based on, well, this is my theology. And by the way, if somebody thinks, well, no, I preach the word of God. And you, but what you're doing <clears throat> is you're cherry picking many, many things. You can really have a, a detailed philosophy about all of the scriptures and have your religion based on this philosophy about all of the scriptures. But I'm going to tell you something. There is only one place unity is found. There is un only one place revelation is found. There's only one place that eternal life is found. There's only one place, and that is Jesus in the resurrection. You preach that thing and you find people coming together the body of Christ coming together as one, as the Apostle Paul encouraged the believers to be one in mind and spirit. Because that's the only thing. Then, listen, if you want to uh, look at the scriptures and say what they, you know, what, what the latter days are going to talk, you can study that. It's a neat thing to look at. But that's not the gospel. Understanding about eschatology is not the gospel. Right. Although there is a there is a human history, and there was a beginning of human history, and there is an end to human history as we know it. And we can look at those things and study them and say, man, that's neat. I wonder what that's going to be like. <laughs> you can actually do that. But listen, when that study begins to be your focus and not Jesus and the mm -hmm. resurrection, you're going to have schisms. You're not focused on the gospel because that is not the gospel. All the jots and fiddles of scriptures. Mm -hmm. You, it, it's as if you're uh, straining out the net and swallowing a camel. Mm -hmm. Jesus and the resurrection and the fact that what he has done for us is 100% complete. He has purged us from all sin. He has given us his indestructible life in the resurrection. And one day, he's, we're going to appear with him in, in glory. That's the gospel. And that is the the focus of the Christian life. And honestly, it's not being preached. It really is not being preached. Do you, re do you remember when you were talking to me about the word 
in the Bible, and then you compared it, you contrasted it with the words, that there's a lot of words. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you want to? Yeah, I, I, I'll touch on it. Well, it, it's a little bit similar to what yeah, I was illustrating there. So I was thinking about actually doing like maybe a, a post somewhere, I don't know where, somewhere, <laughs> uh, or writing something about uh, this concept or idea that I had, that there is there was this forest, okay? And in, in the center of this forest, there was a tree. So there are all these trees, and then there is a tree. What's happening? Let's say it's on your computer that which wrote. What you wrote is Oh, on what your I computer. wrote is on my computer. Yeah. Oh, thank okay. you, babe. But I'll try and I'll try and recall it, even though I'm not okay. too good at recalling this. So thank you, babe. So there's this forest and this tree. And somehow or another, as you walk through this forest, it it leads you. Like it's a maze that eventually leads you to this tree in the center of the forest. And uh, the trees represent words, like the words of the scriptures. Mm. And the tree at the center of the garden represents the word. So what men find themselves doing, men from every creed, color, religion, whatever it is, who study the scriptures, find themselves weaving their way through this maze of words, of literature that we find in the scriptures. And eventually, the hope is that they grow and find their way to the one who is the word. But if somebody came to you and said, no, listen, let me tell you all something. If you know, if you could just go straight to the tree at the center of the garden and see the word, I'm going to tell you, the word will explain to you what all the other words mean. Mm. For without going to that tree and experiencing and in, in, in understanding that tree, you are just going through a, a, a very difficult process to try and understand something that cannot be understood mm. without going to the tree. Yes. Mm. And, but when you have the tree, you understand God. You know God at yeah. that time. Yeah. That, that explains what you're talking about, how there could be all the different yeah. denominations and, and yeah. sections and, yeah. and teachings because they're they're busy with all the words mm. and they're kind of lost in the minutia of the words. Yes. Some valuing some of the words, others valuing other parts of the words, yes. but none of them seeing the word. Yeah. yeah. So not understanding the words. <laughs> That's right. Right? They're and subject, listen, to, their own, you, subject to their own interpretation. Yes. And, and, and guess what? Thank you. Because the word is the interpretation yeah. of the words. Right. Yeah. So without knowing the word, the one from which all of the other words emanated, right? If you don't know, like, the root of the... Imagine all of those trees come from one root. So you got the tree at the center of the car. Without 
knowing that tree, you cannot fully understand all of the other trees. That's right. So you've got to be made one with one who is that tree. Yes. And that's what that life provides to you. Yes. That life is, Jesus is the tree of life mm-hmm. at the center of the garden. And you know him, you begin to understand everything else. And, and listen, I don't know who, it, like you know, could be possibly listening to this uh, talk today. But I got to tell you, if you belong to a denomination and you say, well, I belong to this denomination my whole life and you're talking bad about it. I'm not talking bad about denominations. I am talking about the tree of life and that eternal life, fullness of life, both in this life and in life to come, are found in that tree, the tree of life, Jesus Christ. You believe in him. You have everything you need for life and godliness. That's all you have to really know is that in him you have everything you need for life and godliness. And when he said it is finished, it is the most threatening thing to religion. Oh, yeah. Period. Right. Listen, it is finished is what did Jesus life in. Because I forgot what Caiaphas you know, when they were plotting against Jesus, said, don't you realize it is better for one man to die than the old nation perish? They will, the, the Romans will come and take our place. So in essence, what he was saying is, I'm going to lose my job. If, if, if he is the answer and that's all people need, <coughs> then I don't need your religion. Right. Right. Now, step back a little bit in case somebody who has a church is listening to this. This is not a threat to fellowship, growing in the truth, growing in the understanding of Jesus and the resurrection. It's not a threat to that. You can be a Presbyterian, a Jehovah's Witness, whatever it is. But when you begin to look at the truth of God, of Jesus and the resurrection and what that means to us, that it is complete. We have everything we need. We have eternal life. Can you imagine something? Just think about this. The idea, of the, the, the idea of like losing your salvation. Now, I have got to ask you, if you are one with God, if your sins have been purged from you and you are one with God in spirit, he is your life. All of a sudden, doctrines that we have and that religions have you can't lose your salvation you can't lose your salvation one of the things i hate to hear is people say well i believe in the doctrine of uh once saved always saved i hate that kind of thing (laughs) because it is like a poor representation of the eternal life Uh the oneness that we possess with the our father in heaven it's like some kind of trite thing, like like this thing here. It's something trite like this. Listen, it's not once saved, always saved. You are one with the God who is eternity. Yes. He is eternal life. He has taken away every sin. You, the idea that you can lose your salvation is a preposterous thing. 
But it is the only thing, I want you to understand, it's the only thing, believing in Jesus and the resurrection and what that means to us. That is the only thing that can begin to clarify things like that. Do you understand mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's a debate and an argument of philosophy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like how you say that. Yeah. Yeah. It's the wrong thing to come and say, I believe in the doctrine of once saved, always saved. Right. The scripture doesn't speak like that. No, it doesn't. You don't see Jesus talking about being able to lose his salvation. You don't see him talking about, I can't lose my salvation. Right. They're, both sides are just a philosophy that's in our... <laughs> you do see Jesus saying this, though, like you so beautifully pointed out. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. There's certain implications to saying that. Yes, that's right. If the Father is in you, that, that carries a heavy implication, right? No and if you're in the Father, there's a heavy implication to that. That's right. And that's what it ought to be left as being said. Absolutely. And honestly, I, I don't even like bringing that the, the subject up because it's almost like a non-subject. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and things that are so important to us, all of these theologies that are so important to us that we are hanging on to for eternal life, those things fall away when you come to realize that you have eternal life. Right. Yeah. It's, a <laughs> so, it's a distraction. It's a distraction from it. Absolutely. Like how Jesus yeah. said in uh, John 5, 39, it said, you, test the, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. Yeah. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yeah. But you refuse to come to me to have life. Yeah. They forget to, they refuse to go to the tree and <laughs> enter the garden. Mm -hmm. because in the, in the, in the, in being lost in the forest. Mm. Let's pray. Hold on, hold on. Oh, hold on. Yeah. I'm waiting the whole time. I knew you. Had <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, because I can't get off of this design yeah. of God yes. and, and, and how God looks. And I didn't want to keep the whole conversation. That's okay. But um, And Greg, if you want to come up here and talk. No, no, no. no. Sure. Everybody can hear me from okay. there. Um, We'd rather see you up here. Yeah. I think those folks, why don't you come on up, man? in our next. <laughs> Maybe here's another half an hour. There's my little cheat sheet. <laughs> Wait a minute, no cheat sheet. <laughs> we 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 struggle to understand how God would do a work. Yes. Right. And we 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 completely lose sight of the beginning in Genesis where it said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness." Mm -hmm. Is can we all agree that the us is all God? Sure. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. The light that was released is God. Yeah. Right. That's God. The breath that was re released was God. That's God. That's God talking about doing a work to create man in his image after his likeness. Yeah. Okay. So we struggle to see how God would have to perform that work inside of a human being, especially once death entered into the picture. And what I want to say is the only way God could complete that work once death found a way to manifest inside of human flesh is if God himself came and dwelt inside of that flesh that was dying. Right. That's the only way he could perform the work, right? And it's just like in Genesis, it says that God saw there was darkness and chaos over the face of the deep. Now, how did he bring forth order and light in the midst of the darkness and the chaos? He manifested himself in the middle of it. Mm. Well, in the same way, when God took Adam from the dust, he was originally without shape and form, just like the earth was without shape and form. And he said, the way we're going to give shape and form to this dust, just like we did when we created the heaven and the earth, we're going to have to manifest ourselves inside of this dust. And in us manifesting ourselves inside of this dust, 
That's how we're going to do a work to give this dust shape and form. And the shape and form we'll give it is in our image after our likeness. Yes. And so once death entered the world and found a way to manifest into the flesh of human beings, the only way God could perform the work to give us eternal life is if God himself inhabited the flesh that was dying. Yes. If, if he himself entered into the flesh that was dying, the flesh that was full of chaos and disorder, the flesh that didn't have shape and form, a flesh that is dying is a flesh that doesn't have shape and form. And the only way God can give it shape and form is if he enters into it. Yes. Just like in the beginning of Genesis. And so we struggle to see how God would do a work. And just like he released his word in Genesis, that's the light. He said, let there be light. He spoke, his word was released, and light manifested. His, that light is him. Mm-hmm. His word is him. It manifested in the midst of the darkness and the chaos to give it shape and form. So when he wanted to do a work in man, the way he would enter into man is by releasing his word. His word is him. And in releasing his word into man, what would happen is his breath could dwell in the man. Yes. And that man could then have eternal life or have life manifest in him. Mm -hmm. So the word of God became flesh. The life of God became flesh. The spirit of God became flesh. God became flesh. That's everlasting father. When everlasting father wanted to bring forth seed that were children in human flesh, the only way he could bring forth seed that were children in human flesh is if he entered into the flesh. How can God father children that have flesh without him entering into the flesh himself? Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and so we struggle with this whole concept of God doing a work. But I promise you, Jesus is God doing a work. Mm-hmm. And we struggle to see that because we don't understand how God would do a work if he wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. And we don't reference back to Genesis and say, well, how did God do a work back there in Genesis when he wanted to bring forth light and life? God released his word. That word is, see, we don't struggle when we look back in Genesis. That light is God. That word is God. That breath, that's God. Now, all of a sudden, that word isn't just a light. It's in human flesh. Oh, that's not God. (laughs) How do we get there? Yeah. But we did get there. And that's the whole point of John's gospel beginning with, in the beginning was the Word. Right. In the beginning was the Word. It's not after creation was made. In the beginning was the Word is before anything was created. Right. And in fact, if you ask any good Hebrew person that studies the Scriptures, even if they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, what they would say is, in the, when John says, in the beginning was the Word, what he's saying is, the Word is the chief of all things. That's what Genesis says. When it says, in the beginning, God, it's not talking about time. It's saying God, the chief of all things. Do you know what that's saying when it says God, the chief of all things? Everlasting Father, the one with whom all life comes, that has life. He's the one who's fathered all life. John comes and says, the chief of all things, everlasting Father, the word that was from the beginning, is God. That was face to face, is God. John is saying the word is everlasting father. Mm-hmm. An everlasting father has tabernacled with us that he might do a work in us to enter into our flesh that was dying. And in entering into our flesh that was dying, he could heal our flesh from death and father many children that had flesh that wasn't dying. Amen. Amen. 
And so, man, one of the worst things we could do, and this is what we see, Gary and, and Shelly and I talk about it a lot. We have worshiping of the man Jesus in the church. Right. And we don't understand Jesus as God. When you worship the man Jesus, what happens is, is you look what he did. Yeah. And you start thinking, that's what you need to do. Sure. But when you see that Jesus is God, and you start seeing what he was doing to manifest light in life, there's no confusion for you. You don't think you can do that. <laughs> and it becomes real easy to let him follow his life in you. Mm. Right? Yeah. I hope that makes much sense because I could talk a lot. Of, a lot. It makes sense because I could talk a long time about how God doth work <laughs> and what that looks like. And I think if I just explain it at the beginning of Genesis, everybody's like, amen, amen, yeah. amen. But if I'm being honest, I've been on a, a tear the last year or two talking about that's God. Right. On the cross, that's God. God. Yeah. Right. Right? Well, when I come and say that, everybody's like, no. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's everlasting Father. Right. Right? And I'm telling you, if you don't see that's everlasting Father, <laughs> it's causing a disconnect. That's right. In Him fathering Himself in you. Right? Yeah. And so the way we, we've broken it down, because once God put on human flesh, it's like we struggle to see that's God. Because there's right. flesh. God is spirit, but now there's flesh. And our brains are like, what, what, what? And like Maurice pointed out, we're not against these people. Well-intentioned people grapple with these thoughts, sure. right? But I hope that makes some sense. It's God that did a work. right? And the only way he could do the work that he set about to do in Genesis is if God himself entered human flesh. God himself. Right? Thank yeah, you. I'm so sorry. That's not a problem. I want to know how you fit all that on a cheat sheet. <laughs> Shorthand. But let, Shorthand. Let, that's why you can't hardly diagram. Right. The Godhead. Right. And, and we, we don't need to call it the Trinity. You can if you, want, if you like. But it's hard to diagram the Godhead because the three are one. Yeah. Yes, there is Jesus prayed to the Father. And yes, there is a Holy Spirit that brooded over the face of the deep in, in Genesis. But the three are one. You, there is no term of separation from the God who says, I am. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for really who you are. But uh, mostly, Lord, that the fact that, that this magnificent God manifested himself in the flesh in a, a baby born in a cattle truck and uh, grew in wisdom and stature and, and good favor with God and man, who one day took on the sin of the world and the death that was in the world, and he conquered that sin and death in his body and was raised from the dead, one new man, that we can look onto him and see ourselves in him because that is now who we are when we believe on the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us, we become one with him, even as he is one with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It is finished, Lord. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Maurice. That was fun. Awesome. Cool. Good stuff. I still want to know how he fit all that up.